Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Alex talking about step two. Um, hi, my name is Alex, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm so excited, actually. And um, I was, I'm from Sydney, and I met Chris and um, Dave when they came to do a um, steps presentation in, uh, I think it was Waterloo somewhere. And we met, and we just started talking, and since then we've had this AA connection. Um, and so my group is um, Come On Down to Camperdown, which meets every Thursday, at 6.45, we've just changed the time to 7 o'clock. And what we do is uh, we go through the steps, one a week. So we read out of the big book. And we had Chris and um, Dave come down to come on down to Camperdown and do us a great presentation on the steps and the history of AA. And Look, I just love it so much and I've um, got so much out of it and I just felt so, I guess, privileged to be asked to come down here and and share and spend a bit of time down here in Melbourne, stay with my lovely friend. And we've had eight members from come on down to Camperdown to come on the plane here to be here um, with, uh, with all of us. And I just thought that's so special that our fellowship can mix and, you know, come from Sydney, join into the Melbourne Convention, have our group members come. And it's just we all, a lot of us got the same plane and it just was um, a lot of fun anyway. Um, so I'm here today, I was asked to talk on step two and I thought, you know, I love step two and um, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about my time in AA, a little bit about my history and then just a bit about coming to believe, how I personally, my own personal coming to believe, um, how that all started. So I just want to thank the previous speakers for setting the scene and letting me sit there and relax. I think it's a lot easier to be the third speaker because you've had a bit of time to reflect, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, yeah, so look, I have been in AA for some time. So this, I've been in AA now for 30 years. So I've had a bit of experience <clears throat> and had some time to come to believe in this thing. You know, and um, that was not the case for me. You know, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous um, when I was 29 years old and, um, you know, I looked like my story. For whatever story I got up and told you, you could believe it because I was absolutely, totally and completely worn out by this disease and I was very, very fortunate to get back here. And I didn't do this. I didn't do the steps I sat on the sideline and, you know, and, and, and that is what almost took me out. That's what nearly killed me. And I really did believe that I didn't have to do it. I thought it was all right for everyone else to do it, but I really didn't think I had to. I just thought, look, I just can't come at it. I don't understand it. I cannot understand how drinking, even though I did understand, look, it's an allergy, and I had been in AA before. Look, I'd, been in, I, I'd come to AA when I was 18 years old and I was told... People would get up and talk about themselves, but they were actually speaking to me and they said, look, it's a threefold disease. They talk about the physical compulsion, the craving, the allergy. They talked about this mental obsession. And I, more or less, even at 18, I thought, yep, yep, yep. But then they said a thing called a spiritual malady. And, they, and, and back then they used to say it's a spiritual desolation. And I think, what? 
what is that? And well, how is that even possible? How, do you, how does that? Because I thought the earth and the moon, it was like as far as, as it was so far out of reach. I thought, how? What? God with alcohol? It makes no sense. You know, and my mind was shut there. And it stayed closed there, you know. I mean, my, my um, bit about my history, look, I come from an alcoholic home. So my dad's the alcoholic and my mum was devastated. You know, she's not an alcoholic but she had probably gone more crazy than him trying to fix him. And we grew up with a lot of um, unusual decisions that he made and he was in charge of the family. You know, on top of that, we're Russian. So Russian, alcoholic, living in Sydney, you know, the whole thing is just odd, you know. Um, <laughs> However, I'm also an alcoholic. My, I've got a brother and a sister who are not. And, um, you know, there was a very much a similarity between me and my father. And so we were allowed to drink. I was allowed to drink from the age of nine years old. Russian people do. They drink for everything. Happy, glad, sad, funerals, weddings, just because it's cold. If it's a cold winter's day, have a vodka. You know, it's going to fix it. And in our family, we had um, classes run by my dad where we'd sit at the table and he'd say, now, you drink, but you do not show any sign of teetering. Sit up straight. Have another sausage. If you're feeling sick, eat, but drink. You know, and I mean, I was like a statue when I was a child. I was like, yes, 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 you know, because the whole thing revolved around his ideas and he made sense in in a weird way plausible sense to me but in hindsight I thought it's just absolutely crazy but I mean however this is how I grew up now in my case I left home when I was 14 it was only a temp supposed to be a temporary stay my parents thought I was hopeless they said look you're you're you're, you're all right but um you're never going to make it you are kind of stupid, really, and school is not for you. However, you could do well, marry, marry well, and you'd be all right. So um, they had this sort of prearranged... Um, it wasn't a marriage. I was only 14, but I was supposed to get to know this Russian family in our area. So we grew up, I was in... This is in Strathfield. They were living in Concord. Now, I was very rebellious, and that was so important for me to know that later on. My rebellion is what actually was a big, big issue. I rebelled. I left home. Of course, I didn't go to school. So I ended up in a very, in a, in a, in a very small community in King's Cross and I started living on the street. And this is actually my story. I never really got off the street. I was always intending to go back home. But my family also, the way they were, they wanted to teach me a lesson and they wanted me to jump through hoops to get back home and to beg and to say I was sorry. Now, I was distracted. I was a young, out-of-control teenager. I was an alcoholic and I got very caught up in the street life of Sydney and I basically stayed there. And like I said to you, when I was 18, I came into AA and that's because I was in trouble with the police. I'd been charged. What I had done is I had um, befriended some other homeless people and we all had very good ideas, like really, really good ideas. And I'd come up with an idea of running a surgery. And I, I opened a surgery in Woolloomooloo. It was a squat 
and I started practicing medicine at 18. And I um, got some scripts printed up and I started prescribing myself and all my friends um, SA drugs. Anyway, the whole thing came undone and I was arrested and I was told I was in a lot of trouble and I was charged. I was charged with impersonating a doctor, impersonating a receptionist, a patient, forging and uttering prescriptions. And I was actually locked up for that, which I was shocked, but I was. <laughs> and um, I was told I had a problem. People were telling me, there's something wrong with you. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And I was thinking, I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. This is a can't, can we just please go back and start again? Like, I think this is out of control. I think it's an overreaction. We were just having fun. And I clearly could see by the expression on their face and the police and all the rest that were involved, they were not, it was not a joke. So I had a choice, and I had a choice to plead illness, you know, which was, yes, I've got problems, um, or prison. You know, it was my first offence, so they were kind. And so I ended up in a rehab, and in that rehab we, had a ch- we, had, we were introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, and I thought, I know. I said, I've got to go back home and tell my parents about this. They need to come here. They really need this program. It makes perfect sense. This is, you're sick. And I'd go home. And I'd say, listen, I've got the answer. And they were, by then they were horrified with me. And I'm being charged and now I'm a criminal, you know, as well as a, a Russian, not getting married to the boy there and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm diagnosing them as being mentally ill, telling them they have to go to... So it was a disaster. However, I got introduced to this program and I stayed clean and sober for six months, so I knew about it. But when my time, basically, at this rehab was over, I left, I went round the corner and those days in Glebe, there was a lot of squats, you know. There was um, the RTA, the Roads and Traffic Authority, had bought half of Glebe because they were, it was earmarked for a highway. Thank you. Um, so I went around there and I met other people like myself, you know, homeless, derelict, alcoholic, drug addict, you know, one leg, one arm, one had a patch on the eye, they looked like a pirate, you know, and I thought, good, that's what I'll be, I'll be a pirate, you know what I mean? And I went in there and, you know, I was intending again, I was intending, like I was intending to go home. I mean, now I'm 19 or 18, I'm intending to stay there for one week. Now, in my case, I stayed there for another, um, I think it was seven, seven years. And uh, by then, I had done everything, you know. I had never gone back home. I got involved in everything. And, um, and I was, like I said to you before, so lucky to get back in here because I became, after that, I became a homeless derelict in, in, in Sydney, you know, um, and I had actually been married in this disaster. A lot of th- my life was just went like that. I'd been married three times. I'd been a widow three times. I'd lost a child, and um, I was just living to die. You know, my end had come, and um, I had a rock bottom. You know, even that might sound like I should have had one before, but I didn't. I missed that. And I kept on falling. I kept on falling, falling, falling. And um, my last charge, you know, I was arrested in, um, with my last partner. I was, we were both charged with uh, murder. And uh, it wasn't, I hadn't killed anyone, but I was in that 
in that garbage bin group, society's garbage bin people, where you can be used, police can use you, um, dealers can use you, society uses you, and you've got no voice. I lost my voice. I was a homeless, as I said, addicted, um, derelict person, and I was being charged with murder, and they had the... They had the um, confession already typed out. All I had to do was sign it. And same for Shane. Um, they said, you fit the profile. You, We need to clean this up. Whether you did it or not, we don't care. Now, something inside of me fought that. And that was my initial understanding that there's something greater than me. Because I had met this power strange to say, in my state before. Homeless people live a very different life and we walk a lot because we sleep. A lot of us sleep in the daytime and in the night there's a lot of walking because you're scared to lie down. And when I walk at night, when I was doing that walk, there's a time between three in the morning maybe quarter past three and four, maybe quarter past four, but by half past four it's gone, that the veil between this world and the other is very thin, it's paper thin. The world is quiet. And when you're walking and when you're desperate, you all of a sudden realise you're not walking alone. And I used to think, what is that? What is that? However, the sun comes up, the birds start chirping, People start driving. It all disappears. You get caught up in your own madness. But here I am being charged with this crime and flashing before me is my life. I decide to fight. And I am having a sense of this again, this sense, this I'm not alone. Um, My partner, Shane, he tells me he doesn't want to fight. He tells me he's at the end. He wants to die. And um, I can feel the truth of that at that time. I felt he's telling me the truth for the first time in his life and he was a desperate, violent, scary person. Never told the truth. Now he's telling me the truth. And he did tell the truth. He did take his life. He hanged himself. Um, He didn't go ahead with it. But I fought that. And I ended up out. I ended up... I ended up actually beating that. And I ended up back here with you guys. I ended up, that was my ticket back into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I stayed on the periphery of AA for a very long time purely because I had no idea how to tell my story. I had no idea what happened to me. I was now 29 years old. Thank you. And I didn't understand how this thing was supposed to ever fix I'd never had a job in my life. All I knew really was how to get married. Um, So I had another go at it. (laughs) (laughs) Married someone else in AA. Had another two children. Stayed Stayed on the outside and was dying. I was dying, I was sober and I was dying in AA. And a catastrophe happened for me at around 14, 15 years into this thing. Um, 
my children now had started to grow up, they were teenagers and they were showing signs of alcoholism. My, both my children have this disease as well. However, fast forward, my eldest daughter has nearly 11 years up and my other daughter is nearly nine years sober in um, August. But we had another disaster to get to before. So anyway, I've de- uh, my, husband, my fourth husband, he didn't die. He actually, <laughs> he left me uh, for someone younger, he said. So I'm a single parent in Alcoholics Anonymous, hasn't done the steps with my history. But by then I'd actually, I'd actually managed to get a job. I'd actually managed to start studying and I was going through a university degree. My children are showing signs of this and I have found a new boyfriend, someone quite wild like me that I actually really am attracted to. However... What happens in that case, it wasn't a good ending. In a way it was, but it wasn't. He starts having an affair with a family family member. Now, I'm absolutely devastated because I think, you know, he's my higher power. He's everything to me. This is the best I can achieve. Someone that I love, someone that I trust. No. He decides to have an affair. Now... I'm devastated. I'm absolutely gutted. So what happens for me is something cracked inside me and I said an unusual thing. I said, God, if you're there, what do you want me to do? And that was the first time I asked. I asked, what do you want me to do? And it was instant. It was instant. That came back to me is forgive them. And I said, I hear I said, I can't do that. You want me to do that? I can't do it. You're going to have to do it. So we, this is my now my conversation with that power. And it was instant. It instantly came back, <laughs> almost like a laugh, almost like a joke. Well, I never thought you'd ask, you know. And the instantly what happened for me is the resentment, the anger, the devastation, the jealousy, the, 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 the gut-wrenching stomach sickness went and I was able to go to, the, to both of them and say, now, how can I help you? You're obviously very mixed up. <laughs> I'm here to help. I've got some experience. <laughs> I'm laughing. I mean, it wasn't that quick, but it was in a way like that for me. And since then, this conversation with God, and I understand what's wrong with me, not only that I have this allergy and that I have this mental obsession, I'm spiritually ill. I'm a person that has a thing called spiritual desolation. It says in our book, when the spiritual malady is overcome, then we straighten out mentally and we straighten out physically. Now, I did not know it was that way around. I did not realise that. And I, was, and I was lucky enough, I've been back to Russia and I went to meetings there and this man got up and he started sharing about sanity and he was saying something so beautiful. He was saying that it's a threefold disease. You know, they have the same thing in Russia. They have the same solution. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. However, he said it's, sa- it's saneness of mind, it's saneness of thank you, of body and it's saneness of soul. You're being restored three ways. Yes, you'll probably always be, I think in my case, a little bit mentally not quite right. You know, And I come to accept that. However, emotionally and physically, I'm the best I can be. But the most important thing is that my, my actual spirit and my, my soul 
is 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 one is one with God and it can go back there and it can feed it can have a drink finally the type of drink it needs from God who prepares the most beautiful drinks for all of us and the most beautiful life if we just trust that power you know um I mean, look, I am just so deeply grateful to have been one of those people that have had these two incredible lives, have had this shocking, incredible, sort of devastating life that this illness offers us. And then through a set of circumstances to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous and then listen to you people and understand the solution and have the willingness to have the actual willingness to take part in this and surrender and, act and understand what is wrong with me, what is my malady, what am I suffering from, what do I need and how do I get out of the way? How do I get out of the way and let God do it? And this program has allowed that to happen. And this program and you people have shown me how to do it and be actually restored. And then I, have, I can say, yes, I came physically. I've come to AA. I have come to, I have woken up. And finally, I've come to believe with my own set of circumstances in a most practical and beautiful way. Thank you very much for having me. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.